Today's episode of the Andy Staples Show is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for coming to the Athletics Live podcast show. We're about to get started here, so... Get to the bar, get a drink, get settled, get your questions ready. We have a very exciting lineup coming up. Uh, we have the Andy Staples Show, obviously, that will be starting with us. We have Protect the Rock, our Clemson podcast, co-hosted by Nicole Auerbach and Grace Rayner. And we have The Audible, hosted by Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman. We have a ton of guests coming up throughout the day. T-Bob Herbert, Jacob Hester, CJ Spiller, Greg McElroy, Stanford Steve Coughlin, uh, we have a tremendous lineup, and we're excited for all you guys to be here. Uh, thank you for those of you who do subscribe to The Athletic. Thank you to Trader Joe's, the presenting sponsor uh, of The Audible. And for those of you who don't subscribe, what are you waiting for? We have a 40% off uh, discount code if you enter theathletic.com backslash Live. So without further ado, let's bring on the host of our first show, Andy Staples, of the ASS, of course. Andy Staples, the Andy Staples Show. Thank you. What's up? So, that is a very satisfying synth noise. I like that. Can you play that one more time? Oh, no, they're even better. So you get your head bobbing? There you go. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for braving the weather. I appreciate it. We got a South Carolina fan in the house. You, You know who's playing for the title, right? So... Did you also know that I grew up a South Carolina fan? Do you, do you agree that Steve Tannehill is the greatest college football player of all time? Oh, come on. Don't you say Mike Hold. Steve, Todd Ellis? All right. Well, you Clemson fans, you can make fun of him all you want. You, you guys have scoreboard for like the last 11 billion years. It's cool. But I am, I am proud to present... The Andy Staples Show, which my producer, John, did know what the initials of the show said when he named it. It did not occur to me for about three months. So, and then, and then when it happened, I thought of my, my dear sainted mother, who, when I was about to be born, she was trying to figure out what to name me. She loved the name Seth. She decided on Andrew for a first name. She was going to name me Andrew Seth Staples. And then she figured out what it would look like if I had one of those monogram sweaters. So, I'm sorry, Mom, up there. My first show is named Ass. You tried to keep me from being an ass, but unfortunately, this is just how it went. But that's all right. This has been a really fun first college football season for me at The Athletic. This company is amazing. I know a lot of you guys are subscribers, and I want to say thank you so much for helping us out. And I hope you are getting as much out of it as we are getting out of you guys because 
Uh, I just feel like it's the best sports writing on the planet, and I can sit there and read it all day, and I'm glad you guys are here too. But we got a great show. We got a national championship game to talk about. We have an LSU segment, and then we have a Clemson segment. We'll try not to do any little Jets and Sharks stuff in between as they, as they come on and off. But we're going to start with a guy who is one of my favorite former LSU players. One thing you learn about offensive linemen, they're all dorks, every single one of them. They're nerdy, they're, they're the smartest players on the team, you know that. They're also the best looking usually. But they are definitely dorks. And this guy, you know, he likes his Tolkien. He likes his Lord of the Rings, his Hobbit. And T-Bob Hebert has created something special this season. The Song of Purple and Gold. Two tigers will meet on the field of battle, but only one will emerge. Debo! Clemson! I name thee False Tiger! We do not fear you! We fear no man! We burned the city of Austin, feasted on the flesh of the Gators, ripped out the heart of Malzahn, bathed in the blood of Jimbo, took the hand of Kirby. We wiped Lincoln Riley from the face of the earth. You are no emperor. You're next. Tigers, this is it. The final battle. fanny pack by the way uh i actually so um i don't know i i don't try to impose fashion limits on myself i just kind of go wherever my instincts are taking me and that's how i ended up with a fanny pack and it stuck around for seven months and about two weeks ago it just it, it hit the floor and it never came back on you know it, so it's I'm kind of over it now you've brought it back into the mainstream but now that it is popular yeah, You're it's out. too popular. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. so exactly. you gotta stay ahead of the curve. The it's fanny pack changed. was playing small clubs. Now it's headlining shows, and so you're out on the fanny pack. I got you. Fanny pack sold out. So, how did you come up with this concept of the song of purple and gold? Because 
this is not something your typical sports talk audience. You you host a show called Off the Bench yep. on 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. That's not something your typical sports talk audience uh-huh. is is into. No, so, it's, it's 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 really dumb too cuz like in an internet age where they tell you that everything needs to be like 2 minutes or a minute or 30 seconds, it's a radio play that is like eight to 10 minutes long. This one was 15 minutes, which is really Yeah, stupid. we cut it down to 90 seconds. My, my producer emails me yesterday. He's like, it's 15 minutes long. Do you think we can play five minutes of it during the show? I'm like, can we get it down to two? Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it's, 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 it's very worried, right? But uh, so I just love fantasy. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. Um, Lord of the Rings is my favorite IP probably of all time. But like, I've read a lot of good fantasy. I've read a lot of shitty fantasy. Like, I just love fantasy and... I remember there was a story one day where the high school coaches, when O first got the job at LSU, the high school coaches were saying they weren't going to allow LSU to come recruit or something. Like, some assistant coach had made somebody angry, and, and to me, it felt like uh, like the house is rebelling against the Lord, being right, like kind of, and, and then it just two years so, later. So, if we were putting it in Game of Thrones terms, the bannermen rising up against the the war yes, of the north. Yes, exactly. So that was that that was kind of the original inspiration, and then Swamp King and trying to unseat the Crimson Emperor. Because look, I also love history, right? I read a lot of history, Roman history specifically, and these last. Uh, nine years for LSU, eight years, you know, post-2011, um, to me, at times, I have felt like what I would imagine, like, the Gauls or the Barb, you know, any of these people that Rome conquered, that's that's what it kind of felt like, right? And and I had actually become, after that 29-0 loss, especially last year, I'd become so apathetic where you just kind of accepted it. You're like, all right, I mean, I won't pay taxes. I hope we can win the other games. It just, you, you, you had kind of been ground under the heel of crimson oppression, and and that's why this year's been so great, uh, and that's also why I think this game Monday means so much because that in, in 2011 in that stadium over there, you had a knockout blow on LSU that kind of sent the entire program spiraling a bit. Yeah, the, I mean, like the two, Alabama BCS title game. You guys didn't cross the 50 until what the fourth quarter? Didn't cross the 50 yard line, and that was a team. That had beaten nine ranked teams. We'd won every game by double digits. Uh, when all the bowls were said and done, it ends up that we beat the Rose Bowl champions, Orange Bowl champions, Sugar Bowl champions, and the national champions. Uh, and, and did across the 50. And so, and so what that did was next year you had like 17 underclassmen leaving. And it was a real like two paths diverge type of moment. Because in my five years at LSU, uh, we were three and three against Bama. You know, trade blows, back and forth. And then ever since that game, it just seemed like you you weren't even close. And it just uh, – and Alabama's going on to win Maddie's. And you're, like, finishing in the teens. And, and it took it, it took a toll on, uh, on people that lost it. And so I guess the point of that is Monday they have a chance to finally exercise those demons. And it's weird because you can almost get, like uh, – a sense of like PTSD from LSU fans where there is a little anxiety about that game on Monday. Going back to that stadium because you had thousands of people pay thousands of dollars to watch that. Because I mean, that was a big ticket. Like it was expensive. And you got an Alabama grad coaching the other team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, and then if we're just getting into fun narratives that life creates, uh, 
1958 LSU National Championship team. Who did they beat in January of 59? Clemson in the Superdome. Uh, like fashion, sometimes football can be circular as well. Fanny packs and national championships, they're, they're just go hand in hand. Yeah. We got to bring somebody else on. I mean, it's, look, real quick, it's, okay. no, it's no coincidence that when I put on the fanny pack, LSU had an undefeated season. Right? I mean, think about it. Well, now you've taken it off. What does that mean? Uh, This team is above superstition, and it's because they have the god, Joe Burrow. He is (laughs) a Marvel superhero at this point. Like, and I mean that. Like, when you talk to LSU fans, that's the vibes that you get. When you go to a Marvel movie, like, you know the good guys are going to win in the end, right? It doesn't matter how dark it looks or how threatened the world is. Cap America is going to save the day. That's Joe Burrow this year for LSU. I don't know. Dabo might have that infinity gauntlet. We'll see. But we got to bring in a guy who's written more about Joe Burrow than any other human being alive. Our LSU beat writer at the Athletic, Brody Miller, also the co-host of Hold That Podcast podcast. Yeah, with one T. Bob Aver. How you doing, Brody? I'm great. What's going don't, on? Don't don't clap for him. Just two football guys here to talk about our experiences playing elite college football. Yeah. yeah. So I, I can imagine the stories you guys shared in the squat rack. Yep. Yeah, oh, bro, it's a bit of a comedy. He can throw around the weights. Bro. Yeah, he's, he's trying to catch up to me. It's okay. So, Brody's just upset because nine win Indiana didn't happen. He, Indiana had they got they were so, so close. close. So they had that bowl game against Tennessee at the five minute mark. People were like, "Oh, good, like Indiana won," and I'm like, "You've never watched an Indiana football game, and you don't know what's going to happen here." Happen. All right, Brody. So you have covered Joe Burrow as thoroughly as anyone. You were covering this team last year when Joe Burrow had stats that matched, and I made Kirby Smart very mad when I pointed this out after the SEC championship game, Jake Fromm stats from this year. And all of a sudden, he turns into the greatest quarterback who ever played college football. What the hell happened? Yeah, I think that's a complicated answer, right? Because there's so many things. You know, Some people want to just say it's the scheme. Some people want to say it's the receivers, all these things. I think it was... Kind of a perfect storm, right? It's yeah. a guy who just, because you got to keep in mind, last year he arrived in what, June? He had almost no time with his receivers. The offense was not where they wanted it to be scheme-wise, all these things. Any of the young group of receivers. So he was not where he wanted to be. Yet his dad will tell you that he hadn't you know, played real football in four years. I think he had to learn a lot that year. Then he goes in the offseason. He adjusts his footwork a lot. He spends just ridiculous amounts of time with the receivers. I mean, like, they just, like, he was basically the third offensive coordinator. Spent time on his own, players-only workouts, basically coaching them up, nailing down his timing. They were doing Saturday morning yep. players-only workouts. And I don't know about you, Andy. I've never heard of that shit. I, I'm like, not either. That's, like, I would You usually like, can't get receivers out of bed yeah, on Saturday mornings. Like, we would do, like, we would do, like, maybe, you know, seven-on-seven seven on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They had entire team practices at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. And it started with just Burrow and the receivers, and then all of a sudden it was like, well, maybe the O-linemen will come, and then the running backs came, and it became an entire, you know, team-wide thing. But then you go with that, then you get Burrow just getting better, then you got the scheme, of course, which Joe Brady coming in, that's huge, and then the receivers obviously taking such a leap. It was just a, a perfect storm, I think, and so, that's how that happened. Uh, another Roman history call out here. Here we you go. heard of the triumvirate, right? Your of Caesar, Pompey, Crassus. Absolutely. Well, LSU has a bit of a triumvirate right now, and I think that's like the stars are aligned, like Brody's talking about, where Joe Brady brought the scheme. Steve is a hell of a coach, right? He's been calling plays like probably longer than Brody's been alive, actually. I don't even know if that's, that's an 100% accurate. <laughs> Steve Insminger was calling plays at Louisiana Tech when Joe Burrow was born. Yeah, okay, exactly, exactly right? So, so Steve has this incredible amount of experience, but 
he just had to be taught the modern spread. He didn't have it. Joe Brady understands the spread better than anyone, but what's the one thing he lacks is play calling. And so that was a perfect marriage. And then the third and final piece of the puzzle is, of course, just a quarterback like Burrow who happens to end up in an Ohio State room where they have four quarterbacks that go on Sports Illustrated covers. So he has to leave. And then, like, he's a coach's son, so he's obsessed with film. And it just, it all worked. That's the funny thing is, like, people now are doing this thing of, like, who's going to be the next Joe Burrow? Who's going to be the guy to take a leap like that? There was quite literally no precedent in college football history for anybody taking a leap like that. I tried to ask as many people I could. Do you have anyone? Carson Palmer came to mind. Uh, I think Russell Wilson was a good one, but they didn't even come close to the turnaround here. No, I mean, Russell Wilson was a really good quarterback at NC State. Yeah. He just got into a good situation at Wisconsin. He didn't become that much better. Joe Burrow took a leap I can't recall any college football player taking. So I will say this. One thing that he had last year that has carried through to this year is he has always uh, been really high on the intangible stuff. Like, Like, you can feel it when you're in a room with that guy. And so whether it's like toughness, it's kind of, you know, uh, the, the team, see, like he's a guy that you would want to follow, that you'd want to play for. He like great shapes himself as teammates, right? Uh, the studying, all that. And what has happened is now that he does have the numbers as well and he's, and he's playing to it's he is what I would call right now a true uh, alpha male. And I don't mean that in like, I don't know, like that can get – Whatever. We, we yeah, won't politicize, politicize this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, exactly. he's a guy people this is not, will follow. Yeah, it's not like yeah. an alpha beta crap. I'm talking about like a person where reality sins seems to bend around them a little bit. Like they have their own gravitational pull. And and that's what that, that's how it feels when you're in a room with Joe Burrow right now. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those, like, compulsively competitive human beings. I mean, it's like that, that like, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan type, yeah. like, it's maybe not even healthy how competitive he is. I mean, what is your what is your favorite Joe Burrow story? Yeah, John, our boy John Hayes loves this one. Uh, yeah, so... Shout out, John. John, what's up, John? Um, so, Joe Burrow, like, is pretty good at most things he does in life. It's kind of crazy. He was an all-state basketball player. He's pretty sure he was good in at Ohio. baseball. Ohio! In Ohio. They got players there. Yep. And, you know, the Ohio players. And you probably all saw the video of him during the Peach Bowl when he made like eight threes in a row to like win some competition against Oklahoma. He's good at everything. And apparently he's really good at ping pong too. And he won, you know, they're playing at the Peach Bowl and he won eight consecutive games, right? And it was, he was beating everybody on the team. And then Zach Von Rosenberg, the 29-year-old punter, a former minor league baseball player. So he spent a lot of times in clubhouses playing ping pong, beats him three times in a row. Joe Burrow does not handle that well, and he storms out, like throws his paddle. It's like not, and then they have to leave for media day, and he's like, "We're playing again when we get back." He's not okay with it. So then I bring it up to him at media day. Hey, I heard you how the ping pong games go. He, I mean, we've heard stories about what he looks like. At, he looks at a receiver when he's mad at them. Yeah, like it's just like a death stare when they do something wrong. I received that stare that day <laughs> about the ping pong game, but like. But that reminds me of you mentioned MJ. I mean, that's the type of story yeah. you hear about those guys, right? Like, there's a Famous Jordan story with the Monopoly game right. where his roommate beat him and they, he made them play till like 7 a.m. Losing is losing is losing to these people and it's unacceptable. Yeah. He literally went on the, on the way walking back. They said, who was telling people that I lost at ping pong? Like to his teammates. Like he just is not okay with anybody knowing he lost. He is not okay with himself when he lost. And he said like, we asked him when you're going to play again. He's like, the second we get back from media day. All right, guys, before I let you go, yeah. each of you, I'm going to put you on the spot. What happens Monday night? We actually have like the same exact opinion. So. We're just so, I mean, it's almost like you host a podcast. Mind melt. Mind melt. What bad podcast uh, if we agree on everything? Yeah, it's a terrible did, podcast. Uh, I almost went with the full Pacific Rim reference. No, uh, 
they, I look, okay, so I don't think anybody's stopping the offense. And it sounds weird because Clemson's defensive stats are so gaudy. Uh, but we've talked about Clemson's a little hard to judge because you only really have one great Ohio game State to look game, at. Correct, yeah. Like, you're not going to look at the UNC game the same way I'm not going to look at LSU-Texas for where these teams are currently. So I think LSU will roll offensively. The fascinating part to me is what happens when LSU's defense is on the field. Because Clemson's offense is as complete of an offense as they've faced all year long. And it's a defense that has been playing way better and is uber-talented. Uh, 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 and, and so I just lost a great You're doing great. You're doing great. You can no, complete no, okay. each other's sentences. Okay, yeah. But, but what happens I when Clemson's offense, how, can, how will LSU defend Trevor Lawrence? They did an incredible job against Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma. But if you can make Jalen Hurts throw, that, that's right. a good Tre- path Trevor might John Rice Plumley on them, except, oh, by the way, he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft because he can throw. Yeah, so um, I think LSU wins this game. I think they cover. So I got, I got him by like a score. Yeah, I got, overall, I think this is a border, pretty even football game when you look at the overall scheme of things. I just think you're at a point right now where Joe Burrow, he just changes the chemistry of games. He's just at that point where we've seen him face every single top defense or most of them in the country and he adjusts to anything you show him. So I just think the tiebreaker at this point is Joe Burrow just seems unstoppable. So the most, and, and this is why I got a bit twisted up, because I got my sides of the ball mixed here. I got my takes crossed. Uh, never so, cross the takes. Never, Didn't you never. see that in Ghostbusters, guys? <laughs> so so the, uh, what, what I want to know, okay, is when LSU's offense is on the field, and I, and I think they'll be successful, um, how much can Venables really account for, right? Because everybody that talks about him talks about him like he is, you know, the, the wizard that he is, that, that he can solve impossible, impossible problems, right? Brody's written about this. He's pointed out, I think, was it Brady or Burrow who said that we might as well stop watching film? Brady was the first. They both said it, though. Brady said it first, though. They're like, yeah, we watch film every week. We study a team for five days straight. We look at every tendency they do, and then we go out, and they show something they've never shown before, which yeah. is the ultimate compliment. They need that report from Burrow and, and from Jamar Chase and from Lloyd Cushenberry, and they basically recreate the offense before the second series. And Okay, and so that is where this all gets fascinating to me, right? Because Venables is known for the same shit, right? Like He's known for, like, mixing things up constantly and he can he can disguise everything and he's got a new scheme every week that's you know tailor made for that team so what does that adjustment battle look like and you can't really quantify like i can't like can't lean on stats or anything and it's even one of those things unless you're a coach and you're really watching a film week to week it's even going to be kind of hard to discern but i think it'll be some fascinating tape to watch afterwards all right guys thank you so much you can listen to these guys on Hold That Podcast podcast. Yeah. And I know you're reading Brody in The Athletic. I don't want to pump his head up, but Brody is an incredible writer. You should all read him. And I love The Athletic. Thank you all for having You'll me. You'll laugh. You'll cry. It's beautiful. All right. So there's another set of tigers. Notice I said tigers, not tigers in this game the Clemson Tigers and you notice I said you notice I said Clemson and not Clemson like my man over there in the Garnet jersey probably says so let's talk about Davos guys and we bring on the hosts of our Protect the Rock podcast our great national writer Nicole Auerbach our great Clemson beat writer Grace Rayner 
And, oh, we have a special guest later, but right now, the host of Protect the Rock, Nicole and Grace. Grace, have you, uh, have you recovered from dinner last night? Oh my God. Have you recovered from dinner? I am fine. So there's a photo <laughs> floating around on the internet. And Jennifer, our, our editor of our New Orleans site, took it. And so I, I think if you listen to this show, you know how I feel about food. If you follow me on Twitter, you Do you, you know. like food or something? A, a tad, <laughs> okay. a little bit. So we went to Galliano, and, and that's a place where they have a delicious prime rib for two. A 40-ounce giant piece of meat on the bone. Uh, there's not a piece of meat for two that I can't eat for one. And so... I ordered the prime rib for two for one, and as I, as I am wont to do, and it hits the table, and the look on Grace's face was a mixture of horror and surprise, and maybe just the tiniest bit of awe. A lot of awe. Oh, okay. we recreated it. It was like... <laughs> and then she started timing me. She's like, how fast can you eat that? Because I told her, this is going to go pretty quick. And she said, I don't believe you. And I said, put me on the clock. This will take about 20 minutes. 19, right? Like 1935. Beautiful. Yeah. See, I, at, at least I've, I've put in my 10,000 hours. I know, know where my capabilities are. So, guys, you have been talking about Clemson all season. You know, little old Clemson, as Davo likes to say. But this is a team that has been the most dominant program in college football over the last four years. Is it weird that they are actual underdogs in this game? I think it is. Um, I think that it feeds into exactly what you're talking about with little old Clemson and the way that you can motivate and put the chip on the shoulder of, again, a team that hasn't lost in two years. Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost since November 2017. And, and they are so dominant. And I think that um, despite the fact that the way that they beat Ohio State, I think they really gained a lot of respect from a lot of people who haven't been watching them, who haven't been talking about them. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, you use whatever you can do at this point in the year. Whatever motivation tactic works. Um, I, I also think that, like, they necessarily, I don't know if they played their best football. Like, they did not beat Ohio State. It, it felt like they needed an, an acclimation period against Ohio State. Yes. And then once they, yes. once it clicked, they were, they were fine. Yeah, yeah, the second half. The second half felt like an even, even battle. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about that. Is there going to be that slow start? Is there going to be that acclimation period? Um, I, I would think not after having gone through what they did. Um, but yeah, they're definitely the underdog. You heard them at media day today. They're talking about like, oh, it's like we're playing in Baton Rouge, and like, did someone say they felt like they were walking to Russia? Like, someone said that. Like, someone Dabo like, said it was like playing, or it was like Rocky fighting Ivan Drago in Russia. There we go. Okay. So oh, okay. what Dabo is saying is, is Clemson's going to end communism, is what he's yeah. saying. Um, so they're definitely playing all the time. Yes, they are. I mean, this is a team that before Ohio State, they had not won a game by fewer than 30 points since North Carolina. September. Yeah. So They love when you bring up North Carolina. I'm sure they do. Absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I think to Nicole's point, this is a team that seems to get better when the stage gets bigger, and I think Trevor is kind of the conductor of that train. Let me talk to you about that, Grace, because you've you covered Trevor Lawrence for a long time now. He seems completely unflappable. Is he ever intimidated? Does he ever seem worried about a game? I, I can honestly say I've never seen him 
he's he's just so steady. He's so consistent. I mean, if there's something that intimidates him or worries him, I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, he's he's got to be one of the most constant people in college football. He he doesn't sweat. Like I, I like I, I feel like after a game well, he's not sweating. Sweat would make that hair stringy. Or, or like, and it's it always luminous. It always right, or frizzy. That's like another part. Like he's not wearing a ponytail. He doesn't sweat. I mean, it's just it's a miracle. Why doesn't he ever put it in a ponytail? I, has anyone ever asked him that? I, I was gonna ask today, but it was too crowded. It's so pretty though. Like, it is pretty, but yeah. like it's annoying. If you're working out, yeah. But he, like I just, he's I just a think walking he Pantene sweat. commercial. Just oh, he every time he up. takes the helmet off, he like, goes Moroccan oil. Now. Moroccan oil. Oh, more see, expensive. See, last year he was saying Perk Plus. <laughs> That's what we're here for. That's the Clemson podcast. We will yeah. tell you about Trevor and you. his hair. Last year he was saying Perk Plus. I think he was trying to. That was the populist bent. So now he's, he's now he's thinking ahead to when he gets drafted and oh, has some yeah, endorsement yeah. deals coming up. He's got to make sure you get your shampoo and your Moroccan oil right, deal. Right. For those like on the fence about name, image, and likeness rights, just imagine the ads that we could have had during Trevor Lawrence's <laughs> college career. For his hair, <laughs> it, it is Reason truly enough. astounding. Now, this is this whole rise of Clemson is amazing to me, and we're going to have somebody on stage here in a second who was a very big part of it. But when you look at what Dabo Sweeney has done, from being the interim coach, the receivers coach, brought up after Tommy Bowden got fired, is this one of the greatest coaching jobs of all time? I think so. I mean, we 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 heard Dabo, and he said. Early on, you know, this is going to be the best decade in the history of Clemson football. And, you know, when you're dealing with someone who just got the interim tag taken off, you want to, okay, like. Sure, Dad, right, that okay. sounds great. Sure, I mean, but the, the numbers are remarkable. And I know that he, and we've, we've had this conversation, I know he's not quite ready to label it a dynasty, but I think you, you almost have to, especially if they win Monday night. Yeah, I think, I think absolutely. I mean, we're in an era, especially now, where there's like two hot, rising coaches and everyone wants them and if you don't get them it's a failure and we're firing coaches less than two years and it's just so unusual that something like hiring Dabo would have worked but even that people would do it and I know we talked about this a lot heading into the playoff that all four coaches were promoted from within but that is super rare it's super rare and that, that it works. You think figure it out by at some point though? Yeah well I mean and, and, and in fairness like Ryan Day um, and Lincoln Riley are like they could go to the NFL, right? Like these are those are that name. Like it's not like the unpopular Dabo, sure. unpopular Coach O. But it's just you would think that right, the familiarity of being within the program, knowing what you're getting, knowing them as a person, recruiter, all of those things. But it, I, 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 I wonder if you would get enough time with an unpopular hire these days. I, I that's the thing. Would Dabo survive 2010 I don't, today? I don't think so. I mean, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. The way athletic directors are going now and administrations are not giving you... 2010 was his, his second full season. Um, Coach K wouldn't have survived Duke. Right. Like, that, that's what's amazing to me is, is Dabo had to make some hard choices. He, he had to fire Billy Napier after 2010. If you don't remember, he, they then win the ACC in 2011. They get crushed by West Virginia Orange Bowl. He fires Kevin Steele, brings in Brent Venables... That was kind of so. You get Chad Morris on running the offense. You get Brent Venables running the defense, and that sort of set the wheels in motion for what you see today. But I'm not sure. You, now, once he won the ACC, I think he was okay. Yeah, yeah. If he'd have yeah. Ma- I don't know if he'd have made it through 2010 in this trigger happy time. I don't. I don't know that he would have either. Yeah, it, it is truly amazing. Now, 
before we go any further, I think we need to bring on someone else, a very special guest. I think this is the most important signee in the history of Clemson football. I think yes. this guy set the table Agreed. for everything. Ladies and gentlemen, CJ Spiller. So, little, little backstory. I'm sure CJ does not remember this because there were a million people around him that day. But in February 2006, I was the Florida beat writer for the Tampa Tribune. So I lived in Gainesville. And my boss said, hey, I think CJ Spiller is going to sign with Florida State. We need a story. Go to Union County High School in Lake Butler and write a story about CJ Spiller signing with Florida State. I said, sure, no problem. So I'm in there. And all the all of your teammates are announcing their choices. You had one teammate going to Clemson, yep. I believe. Yep. And you put on that Tiger Paw hat, and the gym fell silent. It did. It was very silent. <laughs> I think you probably would have heard a rat go across the room. It was so silent in there. <laughs> uh, but I think it was, it was one of those things where nobody didn't expect me to sign with Clemson. Uh, they was kind of one of those teams that came out of nowhere. Because uh, everybody knew I grew up a Florida State fan, and then obviously, as you know, being down there and growing up right outside of Gainesville, that's kind of Gator country. So uh, that was right when uh, Coach Urban Meyer was taking over. Uh, so it was it was either Florida or Florida State. So tell us about Dabo at that point and him recruiting you, and what led you to Clemson in that moment. Well, it, it really started with my teammate, like you just mentioned, uh, Kevin Alexander already had to commit it to. Clemson. So I used to always see Coach Sweeney come in and visit uh, Kevin and just talk to him. And then just one day I just happened to be in the weight room and uh, he was just asking me about my recruiting process. And I was telling him that I had one visit remaining and I, I was undecided where I wanted to go. And ironically, uh, it, it was uh, it ended up coming between Alabama and Clemson. And uh, so he just kind of told me, uh, well, do you think you'll take a visit to Clemson? So my high school coach, he played at Alabama. So I called him. I said, hey, I got a coach that want me to come visit his school. You know, what What Alabama thinking? You know, so he reached out to him and they wasn't really recruiting me. So I called Coach Winnie and told him, I said, I'll come on a visit. So he thought I was kidding. So he come back to the school and uh, he made he made me and one of my teammates, Matthew Jackson, sign his little business card, I guess you can say that I would visit because he didn't believe that I was going to visit him. <laughs> but when he signed it, he believed you. Yeah. And he still so, has it, right? Yeah, he, he still has that same card on his desk today. So after CJ announced, even his mom was shocked. Yeah, and yeah. She we, was mad. We were, interview <laughs> we were interviewing you because yeah. she was too mad to talk to us. Yep. So we were interviewing yep. you. <laughs> and you were talking about, oh, it was the receivers coach, Dabo Sweeney, who, who really made me feel at home. And I go, can you spell that? <laughs> I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, I don't think nobody really never heard of him. I mean, it really was one of those things just came out the blue, but he was a great recruiter. The thing I think I loved about it the most going through that process was he was very upfront and honest. I think uh, I told somebody the other day, he was probably looking back, he was the only coach that recruited me that told me, if you do not like our school, I'll stop recruiting you. And that kind of sat in with me. Because, I mean, normally you don't hear coaches tell you, hey. No, they're going to keep going. Yeah, yeah, they'll keep trying to get you, even if you didn't like the visit. But he was real upfront. He was like, if you don't like the visit, I'll start recruiting. And I'll go, you know, recruit somebody else. So I came on my visit, and I loved it. I, I want to ask you about uh, a little over a year later. Yeah. When uh, So more backstory. Backstory. <laughs> I, I was covering Florida, so I had to go to every Florida practice. And 
I was driving to Florida's campus one day. I was parking by the practice field. I saw, what did, did you drive like a little Honda Civic? Yeah, it was, like, well, it was a green Oldsmobile. Oh, that's what it was, okay. Yeah. But you had like a Clemson Tiger yeah, Clemson sticker. Tiger. So sticker. I see a Union County license plate with a Clemson Tiger sticker on it. And I go, well, that can only be one or two people. <laughs> and I'm like, why is he here? Well, maybe, you know, he grew up 30 minutes from Gainesville, so maybe yep. he's got some friends that he's visiting. Or he's transferring. But I'm just going to start asking the Florida coaches about this guy. And so I kept asking and asking. Nobody would say anything. And then they beat Ohio State in the national championship game, and and they get all fat and happy. And one of them was like, yeah, I think we got CJ. And I'm like, okay. So I had your number, and I called you, and you were driving back to Clemson to to get your stuff. Yep, yep. What happened when you got to Clemson? Uh, Dabo Schwinney again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another salesman. Uh, it was just one of those things where I was very frustrated at the, at the end of my freshman year. Uh, we was playing Kentucky in the bowl game, and they was ranked like literally probably last in the country in rush defense. And me and my kind of partner, James Davis, only touched the ball nine times uh, total. And uh, so I was frustrated. I was like, I didn't come to Clemson for this. Uh, so I told him that, you know, I was going to transfer back to Florida. And, you know, I had to have been talking to Tebow. Them. I was actually talking to him as they were getting up, get ready to get on the bus to go to the, the national championship game. Uh, but like you said, when I, once I got in that car and I drove that six-and-a-half-hour drive back up to Clemson, everything starting to start selling in, like, hey, you're starting to make an emotional decision. And uh, once I started realizing that, I said I didn't want to base my decision off my emotions uh, because I didn't want to make the wrong decision. And then he just came to me, and his thing was, why go to somebody else's backyard when you can have your own backyard? That was his exact word. How much of that is him, though? Everybody's like, oh, he's going to go to Alabama. Why would he go to Alabama now when, and be the next Bear Bryant or it's next Nick backyard. Saban when he's the yeah. first Dabo? Because I'm going to tell him the same thing that he told me. <laughs> <laughs> Why go to somebody else's backyard when you got Just, your own backyard? Yeah. CJ's ready. Yeah, he's I'm, I'm ready. ready. So, so Clemson fans, y'all do not have to worry about Coach Sweeney leaving for Alabama because I have the perfect story waiting for him <laughs> to try you. to do that. Well, uh, all right, so the, all the Clemson coaches yep. say that if you don't return that kick in the Boston College game in your junior year, that you don't win that game and they don't get the job. Did you guys have any idea there was that kind of pressure on them as that was going on? Uh, we knew there was a lot of pressure. I mean, anytime you have a coach's change, it's a lot of pressure, uh, especially, you know, Coach Winnie wasn't the sexiest name at the time uh, when they, uh, you know, let him take over for those last eight games or last couple games of the season. So we knew going into that game that it was it was huge. Uh, we was coming off, I think, a two-game losing streak. So we were just really just trying to get bowl eligible. Uh, we wanted to send the seniors out, uh, get them guys another opportunity. So we knew in order for, in order for us to be bowl eligible that we were going to have to beat Boston College. And we knew it was going to be tough. You know, you talk about the salesman that yeah. is Dabo um, and why he got you. But – was anything that's happened since surprised you because you knew the type of person he was and the way he's trying to build? No, nah, nothing really doesn't surprise me today what the success he's had. I think he's coaching this team the exact same way that he coached this position when he was the receivers coach. I mean, just now he just has a larger body to look over. I mean, he coached him hard. Uh, uh, he doesn't expect anything less. Uh, he knows when to have fun. So I don't think anything surprises me with the success that he had. What does all of this mean to you, to Taj, to Ben Bolwer, to the people who 
kind of laid the foundation for all of it? I mean, it means the world. I mean, I think anybody that's an alumni of, of Clemson will say that this means the world. I mean, you think about, you know, it had to have been 81 since we won our last one before we won it in, in 16. Uh, so, I mean, anytime you see your former school doing great on this type of uh, stage, it, it does something to your heart. I mean, you just feel you feel proud for the guys because you know the hard work that they put in. Uh, and then you know the grind that they go through uh, because they still have the same strength coaches that we had. So even though some stuff they did changed up a little bit, but you still know what type of work that they have to go through. So it, it means a lot uh, to see these guys having success. TJ, going back to your recruitment, you have yeah. probably one of the funniest Davos Sweeney <laughs> recruiting stories ever. Yeah. Can you tell the fine people here the story of the tire? Yeah, so it was uh, it was a late night, and uh, he was coming in right before the head coach uh, uh, got down his visit. So he was going back, and he was in the rental car, and it was probably like 11.30 at night, and he was heading back to Lake City because that was the airport that he flew into. The metropolis that is Lake City, the <laughs> yeah. closest metropolis so, to Lake Butler. Exactly. And so you and you know the road, State 100. Oh, yeah. It, it's dark. There's no service at all. So somehow his t he gets a flat tire. So I'm getting ready to go somewhere uh, in my local town. And I get a call from Coach Winnie. He's like, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to need your help. I'm like, what's up, Coach? He's like, I got a flat tire. I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I was like, okay, where you at? He's like, I'm on 100, this dark road, literally dark. There's no service, there's no traffic coming through there. I was like, okay. So me and my stepdad, he was like, can you and your stepdad come and help me? So by the time me and my stepdad gets there, uh, a state trooper just happened to be coming uh, that night. And like, Coach Sweeney's like walking out with his cell phone trying to get service. <laughs> like, it was... Like one of the craziest things that you can experience. I mean, 11.30 at night, him getting a flat tire, me and my um, stepdad having to go help him change the flat tire along with the state trooper. And I remember him before he uh, took off, he was like, we destined to be together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, we probably are, Coach, because I ain't never had to come and help a coach change his flat tire. So I tell him all the time, he done came a long way now from that flat tire. These, these right. all seem to be things that you can, when he, if he tries to leave ever, that you can just hold you over just, him. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold all this. I got all these, all these stories that he like gave me. I'm just holding on to them. So I got to ask, though, when he's that guy, the flat tire, the making you sign the card, yeah. did you see this in him? Did you know this was in him? Well, I mean, he's just a great people's person. Like, you just, he just, people just gravitate towards him. Uh, I tell people all the time, like, when he was the receivers coach, like you had other positions that just went into his office and just talked to him about anything. So I think he just had the respect amongst the young guys on the team, uh, obviously myself. And uh, you, so you kind of seen that, you know, he can be, he got the opportunity one day that he can be a great head coach because he just know how to relate to a, a lot of young people, obviously because of his upbringing and then obviously his story of walking on that Alabama. So, you know, it's, it's hard for him to relate to, you know, maybe a five-star guy because he wasn't in those shoes. But, you know, a guy that wasn't, you know, a five-star, he can relate very well. But he, he does a great job of communicating. He's up front. Uh, like I say, he, what you see is what you get with him. There's no guessing, like, oh, is coach thinking this? Like, he's going to tell you. If you have any questions, he'll let you know. What do you think happens Monday night? Monday night? Uh, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I think these guys are ready. I think, obviously, both teams will be ready. It's a, the last game of the season, uh, but I think Coach Winnie get his, his third championship.
Do you think this is the toughest team that they've played in the championship these last few years? Is this the toughest team that they've yeah. played the last few years? Uh, offensively, yes. Offensively, yes. This would be the most the toughest team that they've played. When you look at Clemson's offense now, I mean, it, you were a very versatile weapon. Mm-hmm. But you look at Travis and T yeah. and Justin and Amari with Trevor throwing them the ball. Could, could you have ever imagined that that kind of collection of talent on on Clemson's team? Are you jealous? It's I'm jealous. Bad. <laughs> I, I, I give them a hard time. I tell them we probably would have won a couple, a couple <laughs> national championships if, if they would have played with me. Uh, I just needed just a little more help. But now nah, these these guys are very, very explosive impact players. Uh, can beat you in so many ways. Uh, we seen it against Ohio State with Travis, even though he didn't have a great rushing day, he beat you in the air uh, catching the ball. So. Then, like you say, you got them six, four, six, five receivers outside. I mean, it's it's really as a running back, that's a dream come true because they take a lot of pressure off the off you. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. We got the Clemson contingent here. C.J. Spiller, thank you for joining thank us. You. Uh, thank thank you. y'all, guys. Thank y'all. I, I could listen to Dabo recruiting stories all day. Grace and Nicole, thank you so much. All right, guys, we are, we're moving now to the audience participation segment. So I hope some of you have questions because we're going to do a little Dear Andy Live. And somebody's got a mic out there, right? Do we have? All right. So if you got a question, raise your hand. It's about time for you to be podcast famous. So who's got a question? Could be about the game. Could be about steak, prime rib, you name it. We got a mic for you. We got to get your, your lovely voice recorded. Okay, is this on? Yes, sir. CJ, it's kind of a bittersweet moment for you, but I'm taking you back to 2009. If I think it right, 2009, we're playing South Carolina with Williams Bryce. Yep. Uh, Opening kickoff, uh, go nowhere. It was uh, offsides called, right? Yep. Right? You took the second one to the house, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, Stories are you weren't feeling good that day. Is that true? That's very true. Can you... Without going into too much detail, did you play again after you returned that kickoff? Uh, no, I, I mean, I went back into the game. I didn't sit out the rest of the game after that kickoff. Uh, but it was some type of full portion that I had that caught. Uh, but, you know, the trainers came to me, asked me, hey, you think you can go? It was like a lot of people know it was a big question. I was very questionable going into that game, but I was like, dude, this South Carolina, I got to play this game. Uh, so I was just able to get all the floors I could on the sideline and that's another thing. Coach Winnie got on to me because... Because you I had think, food poisoning? I, no. <laughs> South Carolina had a fumble. We got the ball back. We fumbled it back. He blamed, yeah. the, he, he blamed the fumble on me because the running back fumble. I'm like, I'm over there with the oxygen. <laughs> I'm like, what you want me to do? He, so he, our, our South Carolina fan, you had nothing to do with this, right? You didn't get yeah, some he, bad yeah, mustard-based yeah, yeah, barbecue he, sauce or anything? Yeah, it was, it, it's always tricky going out to South Carolina. You got to watch no, the No, I appreciate it, buddy. You, you, you got to watch those people in the Midlands. Thank you, CJ. Appreciate it. All right, we had a question down here. He's coming with a mic for you. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk about how if LSU wins Monday, they should mm-hmm. be considered the best team of all time. Um, maybe the best, or at least offense of all time. Uh-huh. Um, but wasn't that kind of the same conversation with Alabama last year? Precisely. And, and Ohio State is their best team of all time. And we, yeah, I don't know that this was Ohio State's best team of all time, but, it, but it, was, it was a really talented Ohio State team. But you're exactly right. We do forget what happened only a year ago, because I remember being in California, going into this game last year, and thinking, 
well, who could possibly beat this Alabama team? They've just destroyed everybody. They got Tua. They got this incredible receiving court. Quinton Williams is unblockable. Well, guess what? They got beat 44 to 16 by a team that went 15 and 0. So I think, I think that Clemson team last year is up there in the conversation with 2001 Miami, with 95 Nebraska as the best teams of all time. But I will say, whoever wins this game probably deserves a place in that conversation as well. Yes, sir, we got another one. Yeah, if uh, Joe Burrow was a New Orleans restaurant or a New Orleans meal, Ooh. which one would he be? He'd be Giacomo's because it's the most diverse menu. If you go to Giacomo's, you regret every item you didn't order. And that is LSU's offense this year. It is a diverse menu, whatever they need. So we were talking to Steve Ensminger today, the offense coordinator, and I asked him, I said, how many times have you seen a defense that you did not see on film? He said the last six games, each of the last six games. So basically, they are having to order off a different section of the menu the moment they get out. So they may be coming in thinking they're doing the fried chicken, which by the way, the fried chicken at Giacomo's is fantastic. But you may have to go Panay Rabbit because they got a bear front and you hadn't seen a bear front on film. So it's absolutely Giacomo's. You know, some, some places have that one thing they do well. They do everything well. Yes, sir. Hey, Andy, how are you? I am wonderful. All right, two-part question. Okay, I'll try to remember both parts. All right, part one, Nina Compton's Compare Le Pen. You been there? I have not. Okay, put it on your list. Okay, it's on the list. All right, number two, my favorite stats, okay, for LSU fans, mm -hmm. we all know Joe Burrow has not completed less than 70% of his passes in a single game this year. Mm-hmm. Goes a little deeper than that, Okay. Right? He's above 70%. Against man. Yes. Above 70% against the blitz. Yes. Above 70% under pressure. Yes. Above 70% outside the pocket. That's correct. And the best of all, he's above 70% in every single quarter. Every quarter this year. This is a very thorough burrow right there. All right, but let's go Clemson. All right. Because those are incredible stats. Mm -hmm. I'm give you an equally incredible Clemson stat for okay. my, my Clemson enemies here in the house. Okay. Clemson hasn't allowed a 70% passer in 108 games wow. since 2012. Wow. Bonus if you know the quarterback who did it. But my question is this. Okay. Does Joe Burrow complete 70%? Okay, so I'm going to try to answer your, your, your trivia question first. 2012. So would that have been... I, I want to say Zach Mettenberger going like 7 of 9... For LSU in the Peach Bowl because they didn't run even or they didn't throw the ball even though they had Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham on the roster. But I'm guessing it's Connor Shaw. Yeah, tell me who it was. EJ Manuel. Okay. Would not have guessed that one. All right. So does he throw for 70% in this game? I think he does. I, I really do. I, it, <laughs> Listen, there, there, there are some matchups that I feel like LSU can really exploit. I'm still trying to figure out who covers Moss. I think Simmons is the one guy who can cover him. But if you're Clemson, do you want Simmons on Moss the whole time? You need Simmons doing all the things that Simmons does. So I, I do think it's possible for him to throw for 70% just because he has so many weapons. Yes, ma'am, we have a question. I am not asking about LSU or Clemson. That's fine. We got a wide world of college football out here. I am a Gator fan. 
Never heard of him. Hey, y'all are my second favorite. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Mr. Owner of a National Title Ring from 1996. Got the year right. People think it's 2006. I'm like, I, I didn't know Tim Tebow. No, you were there at the same time Danny I Danny Werfel, man, the OG. Florida. We hung, we were within seven of Georgia this year, mm -hmm. but there were a couple of third and Granthams that really killed us. <laughs> See, I think I Grantham gets a bad rap, but go ahead. But overall, he's done phenomenal for our defense. Not getting a problem, but there were a few third downs that got converted that were longer than they should have been mm -hmm. in that game. Do you think Florida can beat Georgia and win the East this coming season with the turnover Georgia's had at the offensive line and the turnover at quarterback, even though it looks like they're getting the Wake Forest transfer right. quarterback in? So I don't necessarily think because of the turnover at Georgia is, is a reason to say, okay, now Florida's definitely going to win the East. If I had to guess, I'd say that at SEC Media Days, Florida will get picked to win the East. I don't know that the, I think that might be a little premature because I kind of want to see it proven on the field against Georgia because you mentioned they were within a touchdown and yes, they were within a touchdown in the fourth quarter, but if you were at that game, it didn't feel that close. Yeah. And, and so Florida had a, has a ways to go. And if Jamie Newman comes to Georgia, you know, the, the assumption is, okay, they lost all those offensive linemen. They lost Jake from, they must stink on offense going forward. I don't think that's the case. They've recruited at a really high level. This offensive line, for whatever reason, didn't have great chemistry. The next one might have better. And if Newman, if Newman winds up going to Georgia, which by the time this podcast drops, he might have said, yes, he's going there. I think they could be pretty good. So uh, I'm not ready to pick Florida to beat Georgia yet, but I do think Dan Mullen has Florida on the right track. I think, you know, they've, they've got a quarterback they like in Kyle Trask. It seems like they're going to be able to keep Emory Jones and do kind of the, the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow thing they did in 06, which, you know, that's, that's hard to pull off, but it sounds like they're going to. So I, I think that'd be great, but I, I'm not ready to do it just yet. And you know, you know, I, I tend to under promise and let, let Dan Mullen over deliver on these. I picked Florida to go eight and four this year. And when you live in Gainesville, Florida, that doesn't go very well. So, but that's all right. You know, it, I want to thank you guys so much for coming. I know there was terrible weather today and, and it's hard to get over here. So thanks everybody for coming out. Thank you for listening throughout the year. Thank you for subscribing to The Athletic. It has been wonderful. And now get ready for Bruce and Stu.